<clears throat> it is an amazing age. I, I, I love uh, preparing sermons in these days. Uh, you know, when I started out, I actually had to, to look at books. When I was doing a sermon, I would have books scattered out all over my office. Uh, but now I just do most of it on the computer. And anything I, I get interested in, and my mind kind of flits around, uh, I can look up. Uh, for instance, I was looking up this week. I don't know how I started this, but, but I was looking up the TV show The Biggest Loser. Do you know The Biggest Loser has been on since 2004? That's amazing to me. I, it seems like that just, I just saw an advertisement for that yesterday. Now, I've never watched it, but I read up on it this week. The, the, those usually run for about five months. Do you know the one, one man, Michael Ventrella, lost 264 pounds in five months, 50% of his body weight. He's the record so far. Uh, but it, what a great show for folks to see that there is hope. Uh, that they don't have to stay uh, grossly overweight, that they can do something about their life, that they can change their life. But even more, I, I know why I started thinking about that this week, is I was thinking about, uh, I saw yet another one of those ads for some kind of something to lose weight. And you know, you know they do this. When they get those people with the before pictures, they make them as ugly and as fat as they can possibly be, don't they? I mean, they don't put any makeup on them. I think they tell them to puff their stomachs out and, and swell up as big as they can so that then the after picture looks extremely better, right? They do this with makeover ads too, right? They No makeup. I think they say you can't sleep for three days straight. Then we'll take your picture, right? And then after this great look, and so everybody wants to buy that product and and either take that late that weight loss or that that plastic surgery to make them look more attractive. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because it, it, I'm telling you, if you read no other verses in all the Bible, this is the gospel in a nutshell. And what it is, is it's a before and an after. Verses 1 through 3 are before, uh, verses 4 through 10 are after. Verses 1 through 3 are without Christ. Verses 4 through 10 are with Christ. And so we look at this together today, and I, I think, I hope you will see the divine difference that God can make in your life. The divine difference that really understanding grace can make in your life. Just as Dramatic weight loss totally changes the appearance of a person. Just like plastic surgery can totally change the appearance of a person, uh, this understanding, if we can grasp this divine difference, I'm telling you, it can make a dramatic difference in the way you experience life, the way you approach life. As I said to you, verses 1 through 3 give us uh, the without Christ experience. And that's how Paul writes it. As he writes to Ephesian Christians, he's saying, before Christ, this is where you were. And basically he's saying, without Christ, we have a predicament. I like that word predicament. I don't like being in a predicament. The old saying, up a creek without a paddle. Yeah, being in a place where you're stuck, where there's no good option, where there's no good answer, a predicament. Verses 1 through 3 read like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those 
were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Boy, that's a, it's a grim picture, those verses paint. First it says we were a corpse. Uh, we were dead. We were as good as dead because we were controlled by several things. That's what this passage tells us. Maybe you don't think of that, but, but the scripture clearly says without Christ, we are controlled by the world. You look at our culture and you see virtually any negative, any vice that we have that, that gives us trouble is exacerbated, it's made worse by the world. Lust, you turn on the television, you're going to be exposed to advertisements which stir up lust. Greed, all of our culture is about having more. If you have this, it'll make you happy. If you have this, you'll be satisfied. If you have this, you'll be fulfilled. Self-interest or selfishness, have it your way. You are the master of your domain. You are the boss. That's what our culture does. The world, that is, when the Bible says the world, it's, it's a world without a knowledge, a world without God in it. We're controlled or we're influenced heavily without Christ by those influences. Also here, it says we're controlled by Satan. Here it's called the spirit, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's, it's talking about the devil. As I've told you before, our world would like us to believe there is no such thing. But, but uh, the, just as there is a God, just as there is Jesus, the scripture is clear. There is Satan. I don't think you can necessarily see Satan, but you sure can see his influence. Maybe you've known, and you've known that despair Maybe if you think back before Christ, you've known that despair of thinking, why in the world would I think that was a good thing to do? Why in the world would I think that was the right way to think? I think a lot of times it's because of uh, the deception of Satan, also called as a name, the deceiver. And, and thirdly, you, you have the world, you have Satan, and then you have your flesh, your own sinful desires. The Bible says even after we come to Christ, we have a battle going on between our flesh and our spirit. And it is a powerful struggle. Uh, no matter how much you mature in the faith, I don't think you ever escape it. Paul writes that he knows what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't do it. He knows what he's not supposed to do, and he does it anyway. And this is when he's almost dead, when he's been planting churches for 30 years. It's a struggle, this battle, and, and so always pulling at us is the desires of the flesh. All of that comes to bear. All of that can live, leave us with a feeling of death in our life, a feeling of despair and discouragement. Maybe today, maybe today you're without Christ and you hear truth in what I'm saying. Also hear how these verses conclude. In verse 3 it says, we were by nature objects of wrath. We don't like to talk about that today. But the Bible says, without God, we are condemned. Without God, we will suffer the consequences of our actions. We will get what we would deserve. We will be punished. 
need to hear that. We need to understand that. We need to grasp that. If you've made a decision for Christ, you need to remember back what it was like without Christ. If you're without Christ today, you need to hear the truth of these words and understand that yes, it is nice to be in control of your own life, but there's a destiny for those who are about self that's not pleasant. Often we can feel those effects in the short term. But then we transition in verse 4. There's a little word there, but three letters, which makes such a difference. They transition from what we are without Christ before to what we can be with Christ after. But, and the but refers to the great love and mercy of God. With Christ, first, this scripture tells us we can have privileges. With Christ, we can be so blessed. We can be uh, among the elite. We can have the privileges of those who are well-born. Not because, of, and not earthly or worldly privileges so much, but the privileges of being connected to the God of all. The privileges of being connected to a heavenly Father, the creator of the universe. Privileges described in verses 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That is, he revived us. He brought us back to life. It is by grace you have been saved. And listen to these privileges. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty amazing to think that because of God's love and his mercy, because of his grace, which means unmerited favor, a grace which means it's not something we can earn or purchase, a grace which means it is because of God's extension to us that we can be saved. Because of that, we can sit with him. Because of that, we can be raised up with Christ. Because of that, we can one day be in his presence. That's amazing, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever gotten to go on a cruise, but on the cruise, uh, sometimes you get, to, you get invited to sit with a captain, the captain's table. Well, that's a privilege, isn't it, to go sit with the, the man who controls the boat. Maybe you've had an experience of going to a concert or to an athletic event, and, and you get to go backstage. What a privilege that is to, to sit and be in the presence of this person who plays a great sport, is a great player at sports, or, or is a great musician. Nothing compares to the privileges talked about here, which are extended to every one of us who believe. Not that we have to measure up, not that we have to interview, not that we have to earn. They're extended to us by grace. You see, it is amazing to think that we can be in the presence of God. That we can have, no matter where we were born, no matter what our background, we can have a family 
with God. We can be his son or his daughter. We can be in his presence. We can be highly regarded. Secondly, with Christ, this passage tells us we are pardoned. With Christ, we are pardoned. Verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I tell you those two verses alone. If you can understand and grasp those verses, you've got the heart of the gospel. For it is by grace you've been saved, not by works. I would recommend memorizing that. But even more, I would, re- I would me- recommend meditating on that. I think it's very hard to be judgmental if we truly understand that. What does pardon mean? You think about it in the context of, of capital punishment. If someone's on death row because of a crime they've committed and they've been judged and uh, given a, a sentence of death, they go to death row. What a depressing place that must be. To know you're just waking up and going through the day, every day, one step closer to having those drugs pumped into your system or being electrocuted or whatever method they use. How depressing. But you've earned that if you've been justly convicted. That's a big problem. Capital punishment is not always our people justly convicted. But if you're justly convicted, you're on death row. There is only one possible means of salvation. It is if the governor of the state is moved to extend a pardon to you. There's nothing you can do to pardon yourself. There's nothing you can do to make your death not happen. And it's the same way with all of us. Now you might say, well, I have never sinned. That would be untrue. Because even if, and it's hard to imagine any person ever rightfully thinking this, even if you've never done anything wrong, Sin is also those missed opportunities to do the things that God would have you to do. The sins of omission. All of us, by nature, sin. And the New Testament tells us that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our big problem is we start categorizing sin. We start thinking, well, I'm not so bad. Listen, there is nothing you can do to pardon yourself. But by grace, you've been saved. Not by works, but through faith. God extends the grace. We believe by faith. That is what helps us. That's what makes us a sheep instead of a goat. That's what it says in the New Testament. That in the final judgment, God will divide the people into the sheep and the goats. The sheep are those who believe by faith. The goats are those who choose not to believe, who reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We are pardoned if we choose by faith to accept it. It comes to all of us by grace. We don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. We only can be pardoned and set free. Finally, with Christ, we can have purpose. With Christ, we can have purpose. If I say to you, eight and nine, verses 8 and 9 are the heart of this gospel Verse 10 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. 
For it shows the proper place for works. It shows the proper method of the way God works in us to then make us uh, difference makers, to then make us have purpose, to know that our lives matter beyond ourselves. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You cannot earn or work your way into salvation. But this verse says that as we come to Christ by faith, accepting his grace, then it makes a difference in us to where we want to extend, we want to be instruments of grace to others, where we want to do the good works that he prepared for us to do. That, that word in Greek, there you see God's handiwork, it's poeo, it's the word we get poetry from. I don't know who your favorite poet is, but, but your favorite poem, masterpiece of a sonnet or an elegy, or in a haiku, whatever, you, you think about that. That's what God sees in each of us. He has prepared us to be a masterpiece. Biblical studies professor writes about going on a tour to Florence, Italy, and seeing Michelangelo's works. I encourage you, I, I did a kind of a virtual tour this week thinking about this, and I mean, I am telling you, Michelangelo was a genius. Not only did he paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but he was an amazing sculptor. And in one of those museums in Florence, they had a, a piece called St. Matthew. Now, St. Matthew was unfinished, and if you read up on Michelangelo, he did many works. He started many works, many of which he didn't finish. But St. Matthew's about half finished. And, and Michelangelo believed in every stone there was a statue waiting to be unearthed. In every stone there was this image that was just awaiting the work of the sculptor. You look at St. Matthew, half finished, but it is amazing. It's lifelike, the parts you can see, the tone of the muscles, the detail on the face. In every stone, there's a work, a beautiful work of art waiting to be unleashed. How? I might say that to you. The Bible says in another place that we are clay and God wants to be the potter. He wants to, by grace, save us so that then we can be masterpieces for him. But he does all that by grace. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to earn it. And even more importantly, I want you to hear what I'm saying. You know that your job is not to cause people to think they have to earn it. But by grace, you have your ministry. By grace, you have your service. By grace, you work that all might see and all might hear of his amazing grace. 2002, a youth ministry class was getting ready for their final exam. In this final, uh, they were worried because it was a pretty extensive. They took a lot of notes. <clears throat> so they came into class on the, that last day ready for the final. Some had crammed and studied for hours like in most classes. Some, oh, whatever. 
I might pass, I might not. Which one were you? And so they come into the class and, and the professor says, we're going to start by reviewing. We're going to go through what's going to be on the final. And so they started and, and much of what they reviewed had been on the study guide he'd passed out before, but, but a lot of what he brought up was in minute details of the book they had studied. It wasn't on the study guide, so a lot of them started to panic. They were thinking about how many of those questions must there be for me to pass of the stuff I know. We've all known that if we've taken exams. Finally, it was time to take the test. As he passed out the papers, he said, leave it face down on the desk till everyone has one, and I'll tell you to start. When they turned them over, every answer on the test was filled in correctly. At the bottom of the last page, it said, this is the end of the final exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All your work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You have just experienced G-R, capital A, C, E, grace. The professor then went around the room and he asked the students individually, what is your grade? Do you deserve the grade you're receiving? How much did all your studying for this exam help you to achieve your final grade? He went on to say, I've tried to teach you all semester that you're a recipient of grace. I've tried to communicate to you that you need to demonstrate this gift as you work with young people. Remember, it's a youth ministry class. Don't hammer them. They are not the enemy. Help them, for they will carry on your ministry if it is full of grace. And then he mentioned Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable. And the people that start, the servants that start in the middle of the day working for this owner, they are paid a certain wage. People that start working for this owner with an hour left to go in the workday receive the same wage. And the ones who started the first of the day said, well, listen, this isn't fair. I've worked a lot longer than those. And the owner says, should you be angry because I'm kind? Should you be angry because... I've extended grace. This day, for those of us with Christ, it is very easy to forget what it's like to be without. I don't believe anybody wants to be dead in sin. I don't believe anybody wants to be controlled by their selfishness, their fleshly desires. We should be messengers of grace to those who haven't yet found it. For those of us without Christ, I want you to hear there is nothing you have done that God cannot forgive. There is nothing you have done that grace cannot save and pardon. And as we grasp this, if we, if we really get this, <laughs> friends, I'm telling you, the walls of this church will not hold the people of God because grace is contagious. 
Father, we thank you for these words, and we ask that we truly embrace them, that we truly understand them, that none of us might judge, we might judge not, lest we be judged. I'm so grateful, Father, that, that you chose to extend mercy to me. You know the terrible things I've done in my life, yet you saved me anyway. I pray today that there's forgiveness being felt in this place because there's faith being exercised. Help us to believe. Help us to allow you to, to, to submit ourselves to you to, for you to unleash the masterpiece in us. Lead us in the works that you would have us do. Lead us in our ministry of grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.